Hi, Stephen here. Just before we start the podcast, I wanted to briefly say something about the awful events of last week where a convention of Jehovah's Witnesses was bombed in Kerala, India. So I'm not going to name the man responsible for the bombing, nor am I going to repeat any of his grievances, um, because of course that's what he wanted. And um, I think it's important that somebody that kills two women and one little girl um, doesn't get what he wants. So the victims are Leona Poulos, Kumari and Libina. Leona was 60, Kumari was 53 and Libina was 12. Um, And so I think we just have to say how sorry we are about that and what a terrible thing that is. Um, Our thoughts are with all of the people that suffered and there's many others injured as well. So the, the bomb, there were three bombs apparently, three devices that he made. He set them off at different places within the hall. Um, and there's some horrific pictures as well that, that have been um, on YouTube and various different outlets. I don't recommend you watching those pictures, I have to say. Um, so yeah, it's just really, really upsetting. And, you know, we've we've kind of been here before. Um, last year, I think it was, or maybe earlier this year, there was a, a shooting in Germany, of course, and uh, people died there. So it's um, it's something that we have to call out. We have to, um, in the strongest possible terms, say how disgusting it is. Killing is not the answer. Killing people is never the answer. We're seeing a lot of killing on the news and it's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and this is no different. And yeah, it's just, I'm sure nobody thinks that this is a good way to raise grievances or to make your point, regardless of whatever we think about the organization and the, the religious beliefs and so on. These are completely innocent individuals. These are just people who have a belief. Um, we obviously think it's a, a wrong belief and we think there are damaging things about the organization, but these are just ordinary people who are trying to worship in the way that they they feel is right and they should have that right to worship without feeling frightened so yeah it's a really depressing thing to hear um and i think it's really important that we all just very simply stand with anybody that is affected by that okay so i haven't i didn't write this out as a script it's just me thinking about it and so i don't know how coherent it is but I just wanted to say something on behalf of the podcast, I suppose, um, that uh, that we're thinking about the people that were injured and lost their lives. Hi, welcome to Cult Hackers. My name is Stephen Mather. I'm uh, without Celine today. Uh, she's not feeling so well, but I'm not on my own because we have a very interesting guest. Welcome to the podcast, Sinane. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. This is exciting. 
Um, you're very welcome. So I've listened to you talk uh, about your story before, uh, and I thought, yeah, definitely wanted to to talk to you about your experience. So maybe just introduce yourself, um, if possible. You've got a couple of areas that you're very interested in, and you've got a website that you talk about it, and you're in the middle of writing a book. So tell us about yourself, please, Celine. Okay. Um, yeah, so... I'm American, uh, which I'm pretty sure you can tell right off the bat. Uh, and I'm from Florida, uh, which, you know, has that stereotype for being just completely insane. Uh, and it is justified. So um, I grew up very fundamentalist evangelical. Um, so like Christian and in my very small town, it was a very insular kind of controlling environment. Um, there was the influence of uh, non-denominational churches uh, like Calvary Chapel, which is like a big chain church. Um, they're all over the United States, but they do also have some international locations. Um, and uh, I went to a private Christian school for elementary and middle school, which was very white Christian nationalist, um, very propaganda-y. Uh, the, the mascot were the patriots, like Revolutionary War patriots. Uh, we had Plymouth Day. They were obsessed with the pilgrims and with the founding fathers. Um, and that was also attached to a different non-denominational church. And like largely when you say non-denominational church, at least in the U.S., um, I find that they are usually just like Southern Baptist, but with like rock music, um, or occasionally they're more like Pentecostal. So most of the churches that I grew up in, like theologically, I don't really think we're very different from Southern Baptist, um, which is kind of the stereotypical, super conservative, uh, evangelical Christian denomination. It's also the largest, um, Protestant denomination in the United States. So, um, and then I was also involved in an honest to goodness Southern Baptist church. Um, and it's a small town. So all of these different circles were like very overlapping. Um, and there was a big IBLP undercurrent um, Institute and in basic life principles was an honest to goodness cult that was run by a man named Reverend Bill Gothard. Um, and he started like a really long time ago, like the sixties or seventies or mm -hmm. something, but he was really big in like the eighties through the two thousands. Um, and his whole shtick was that you should have as many children as God will bless you with um, hyper patriarchy, hyper purity culture, um, 19 kids and counting the Duggar family. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. were IBLP. Um, the 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 like church movements that all overlapped with that um were like quiverful was like another um yeah. brand to that um also a little bit of like the stay at home daughters movement um which i feel like is maybe not as big but it, it was basically the belief that like girls should live at home under their parents until they got married. And then they would mm. move into like directly from their father's house to their husband's house. So that they're sure. like always under the patriarchy of a man. Um, but like all of that was kind of like just in the, in the milieu of my adolescence mm. and my family had no direct involvement with IBLP, um, which I am extremely grateful for, but 
every one of my friends, uh, their families, they were using the IBLP homeschooling curriculum. They were going to IBLP summer camps. Um, when I went to undergrad, when I went to school, my best friend went to teach English in Taiwan through an IBLP program. Um, and so like, these were the moms who were teaching our Bible studies and like running our summer camps. And like, they were the ones who were influencing us. Um, I remember seeing Bill Gothard VHS tapes growing up. Um, you know, always being told to like, you know, cover your shoulders or wear longer shorts and like that kind of stuff, uh, wear a t-shirt over your bathing suit. Cause it's Florida. So like, there's a lot of beach activities. Um, and then in 2015, 2014, 2015 timeframe, like it broke, uh, in the news, there were multiple allegations of sexual harassment and even like sexual assault. Um, and then like a bunch of other people stepped forward in the IBLP organization saying like, not just Bill Gothard, but basically everyone involved. Um, there was a lot of abuse happening. Um, and then all of the Duggar scandals broke with the oldest son, uh, being caught up in a whole bunch of, uh, illicit crimes. He's now in prison for, uh, like child pornography and things. So, um, just to um, help our listeners, so um, I think a majority of our listeners are from the US anyway, so I'm guessing uh, many of them will know about all of these names. But um, for those who don't, the uh, the documentary Shiny Happy Happy People, of course, covers the Duggars um, and the IBLP. And actually, that was my education to it. I have to say, I didn't, I wasn't aware of of this world. I, obviously, I'd heard of um, evangelicalism and um, the southern states of America being very much around this sort of Southern Baptist sort of religion. But yeah, I was uh, very uh, surprised at, at this uh, this whole movement. So yeah, just a bit of context for our listeners might be useful. Um, that documentary is incredible, mm. um, but it, it was just very strange for me <laughs> to watch it because I mm. knew almost all of it already. And I had seen it growing up, but it was a really weird perspective because like I said, my family was not involved in it. I just saw it everywhere. So I like, yeah. it was, it's just like, it's a really weird, like dynamic for me personally. Mm-hmm. And, um, but like, I was, I was fully indoctrinated from childhood. Like I was like, I believed everything. And, you know, I didn't, I accepted purity culture and that like, this is how you be a good person. This is how you please God. Um, you know, I was, I was the good girl. Like you give me some rules. I love rules. I'm going to follow the rules. Um, and you know, anytime somebody would like make a new friend or start dating a new boy or something, you know, I was always the friend who was like, Oh, are they a Christian? You know, like, you know, got to make sure. And, um, basically my family, um, I was, we were just like different enough that I escaped a lot of, I think some of the really harmful things that happened in that, in that like ideology. Um, My mother was a firefighter um, in a time when women were not firefighters. And I, I I call her kind of an accidental feminist because um, she, she would never call herself a feminist. I don't Mm -hmm. think like she, she would, you know, say that that's like woke bullshit or something, but Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she was, and, uh, I saw that growing up and she had previous life experience, like before she had kids, she lived on her own for a long time. Both of my parents were very independent. Um, and she had like, she'd been proposed to like eight times or something. She had, she had had abusive relationships. She had seen friends trapped in abusive relationships and stuff. So, um, when my parents had kids, 
I think they just really doubled down on the fundamentalism because they just wanted to raise us right. You know, I think mm-hmm. the intentions were always good. Um, but they also, my mom, the message that I was getting that like nobody else was, was, you know, you need to get an education, like never trust a man, you know, like you should still like wait for God's chosen husband for you. Like that's good, but you can be married for 15, 20 years and have three kids and he can still walk away uh, because she had just seen that happen. And so she's like, you know, just have something of yourself, be your own person, get an education. And all of the girls that I grew up with were not getting that message at home. And I didn't probably realize that until adulthood, um, the, the, the divide that we were getting like at home and they were all being told God's going to send you like a male ordered husband and he's going to be your perfect match. And if you are pure and if you wait till marriage and um, if, you know, you follow all the rules, your life will be perfect. Like you won't have any problems. You'll have domestic bliss. You'll have, um, you know, all of these beautiful children and like everything will be good. Not, and that's just not reality. You know, that's Mm -hmm. exactly how you end up in abusive relationships and, Mm -hmm. you know, ignoring the realities of like financial stresses and family stress. And like, it's ridiculous. And I know so many girls who went to Bible college, found a Bible husband, and were divorced within one to two years. And that's the greatest stigma that you can possibly have in this in this culture is like to be divorced mm-hmm. or whatever. So it, it's just tragic. And everybody I knew got married by the time they were 19, 20. Like they couldn't drink alcohol uh, and they were getting married. Uh, mm-hmm. All the weddings that I went to <laughs> were dry weddings um, for mm-hmm. everybody but me because I had many bottles. Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> uh like they were all like saving their first kiss for their for their wedding day you know like that right. kind of thing so um yeah so you've got this purity culture um so actually that's the way of life what, what about the theology um so this is something that uh is quite interesting to to me i was raised as a, as a jehovah's witness um and so our theology is a bit different i think to to the mm-hmm. the, the the general fundamentalist christian so um what what was your kind of beliefs around the bible and the end of the world and all these sorts of things um so mm, i distinctly remember probably one of my earliest memories i was probably six to eight years old i don't know my mom telling me that um the bible we believe in biblical inerrancy um the bible is the one true spoken word of god it is absolute it is non-contradictory um and it is like flawless and perfect and wonderful and well that's a whole that's that's complete nonsense uh if you actually study the bible like outside of like an indoctrinated perspective but um you know and i remember being told that from the youngest age possible and my mom telling me you know the bible verse of um false prophets, you know, the, the scariest thing were false prophets. And like, there's going to be, there are going to be people who try to trick you, um, uh, with like false theologies and things. And mm-hmm. if you don't know if it's like a false prophet or not, you can always just turn to the Bible. Cause that's like the ultimate answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were very much, um, original sin, um, yeah. and hell, like they, like hell and heaven, hell. like, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like you were going to Burning burn in hell, eternal damnation, yeah. eternal okay. conscious torment. Um, mm. And 
if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and ask him to forgive you of your sins. And it's not a religion. It's a relationship. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And um, they, in my circles, were um, very much obsessed with the rapture um, and in times and a biblical apocalypse and the antichrist and like the left behind movies uh, were essentially yes. scripture. And, um, <laughs> you know, so, and there's words for that. And I don't, I don't know them off the top of my head, like millennial disp- dispensationalism or like whatever. I don't know the exact terms for mm-hmm. it, but like, you know, whether or not the Christians were going to get to, you know, zoom up to, to heaven before or after the tribulation, there were debates on that but like we were zooming one way or the other so um yeah so i mean the theology was very much yeah. doomsday e very yeah. like cultic apocalyptic apocalyptic my mother also yeah. sat me down and told me probably when i was about 10 or 12 uh, i remember this again distinctly um that jesus christ is coming back in her lifetime based on some prophecy mm. that she had seen and so i needed to be ready at any moment for like jesus to come back and then yeah. When I first started dating my husband, my parents did not accept him. Um, They were not kind in any way. And uh, partially it was because he was a Catholic and Catholics are not real Christians and they're going to hell. Mm -hmm. And then partially, and I, you know, I think that this is just maybe my family's personal dysfunction mixed with kind of the purity culture thing. But I genuinely think that they thought that they were in some way going to almost get to pick my husband. Um, not like a, not in like a prearranged marriage or anything, but just, I don't know. And, uh, so they didn't accept him. We dated for like six ish years before we got married. Um, so we were together for a very long time and they literally were like not nice to him until like after we were engaged. Um, and my, my husband told me about this, um, after the fact, cause I was not in the room and I still don't even really know how to process this, but apparently, um, my mother told him just totally casually, like this is a totally normal, good thing for her to say to him. Um, She was like, oh, well, you know, like I had prayed and begged God um, that the rapture would happen before Sinane was old enough to start dating. Um, But I guess you're the next best option. So (laughs) she was literally, I mean, essentially just praying that I would die a virgin. Um, which is just so messed up. And you, and you Mm. look at, and and to me, like, that's so creepy (laughs) because if you look at like Jonestown and Heaven's Gate and the Manson family and all these honest to goodness, destructive cults where you have like mothers harming their own children. And you think like, how could that possibly happen? How could any woman hurt her own child? And then my mom says some crazy ass shit like that. And she's just like, wish you died a virgin, you know, (laughs) like it's, that's exactly how. Mm, yeah um, extreme fundamentalism yeah there's um uh, there's lots of similarities there um uh, probably not quite as extreme in in relation to relationships although um you had to marry a, a fellow jehovah's witness so that you know there was no doubt and and obviously there's not that many of them so you your pool is quite small of uh, people that you're you're able to marry um yeah and all, all the, the the doomsday stuff it's a slightly different flavor um but it's boils down to the same stuff you know armageddon's coming uh the wicked people are going to be destroyed um apart from the fact that we were the only uh good people and uh you guys i'm afraid would uh would would be falling foul of 
of Christ's wrath. Um, yeah, it's all the same stuff. Um, and and it, I guess it makes you, it brings you up in a kind of uh, uh, an atmosphere of fear constantly, doesn't it? You're always on the lookout for, I mean, you keep on the watch is, is literally what, what the Bible says. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like there's words, I mean, there's words for it now. I didn't know them when I was growing up, but like rapture anxiety is like a real thing. Mm. Like if you lose your mom in the grocery store and you're like, oh my yes. God, they've been raptured. <laughs> I'm going to hell. Like, what is like, do I have the mark of the beast? Like my mother told me at one point that like when, when I was like way ahead of the game, you know, like back when I was in like elementary or middle school, that the flu shot was the mark of the beast and I should not oh, get the really? flu shot. Um, yeah. yeah, like extreme fear of just mm. everything um you know and 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 with all of that you you kind of are taught that you just have no control over your own life um and there's so much conflicting ideology that it causes so much confusion like i don't know and this is such a common thing um like i don't know how many times i've prayed the sinner's prayer you know, just like begging to be saved because you don't actually know a hundred percent if you've been saved, if your name is written in the Lamb's book yeah. of life or whatever. And so, you know, as like a child, you, you, you pray the sinner's prayer, like dozens and hundreds of times, like every night, just like hoping that you're saved. And then, um, and with like the purity culture stuff, like I remember talking to other little girls and stuff, we're 12, 13, 14 years old. And they're all just say, like saying, praying that, um, you know, I just pray that like God sends me that I find my husband attractive. You know, I hope that I pray that like, um, you know, I don't have to marry somebody ugly because mm -hmm. it didn't matter if you liked them or if they were attractive or um, anything else. It, it was just, oh, this is who God sent me. This is um, that you have mm -hmm. no choice in the matter whatsoever. Um, and so there's just like a lot of fear. And and, and like for me my family was very evangelical, but like we weren't a part of IBLP. So I feel like there was almost a little bit of a difference on like the white Christian nationalist scale. They were very white nationalist, mm -hmm. um, a lot of racism and mm -hmm. a lot of the political side of things from my family. So um, absolutely terrified of Democrats, Democrat. I didn't know a Democrat growing up, but Democrat was a slur and um, they were obsessed with uh, crime. They were obsessed with um, like big cities were j essentially just like every big city was just Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, like we, when I was like 12, we took a road trip and we were in New York city for a day. And like, my parents wouldn't let us spend the night in New York city. Cause they were convinced that we would just get like shanked on the street. And um, so like, you know, but at the same time, like you're being told, and I, I remember this was a personal struggle for me. Um, I remember basically being told like you are going to be like the victim of some sort of like home invasion or like mm -hmm. mugging or like you're going to be the victim of some sort of crime at some point um and so you know my family had like a bunch of guns and like very republican um but at the same time you're being told that uh people who don't believe in jesus are going to burn in hell for eternity and so my little 13 year old brain obsessed over this idea of like if i get like attacked on the street i should let them kill me because i'll go to heaven but if i use self-defense i'm condemning somebody to hell for eternity you know and so like shouldn't i just like accept that mm -hmm. and uh, but of course that's not the message that you're being told as a white christian nationalist you're being told that you need to have 17 guns um 
So it, it was it was a lot of cognitive dissonance, a lot of like yeah. mismatched ideology. Like it just it doesn't mm. actually make any sense. Um, yeah, and, and that's what you're trying to do as a child, isn't it? You're trying to make sense of the senseless, really. You're trying to make sense of of these contradictory ideas and uh, piece them together. Yeah, I, I, I recognize different situations, but um, but that anxiety trying to make it make sense. Um, you know, we've heard that sort of said before. <laughs> One of the things that that you are really interested in, and that I'm interested in talking to you about, is is this link between uh, fundamentalist Christianity of various different sorts, and I suppose religion in general, sort of fundamentalist religions, um, and the conspiracy theory, uh, conspiracy theories, and, and the way that people think, and the link between that, and added to obviously things like. Um, nationalism and uh, and so on so um what have you learned about that because i know you've been thinking a lot about this and you're writing about it so what, what have you learned that you think is interesting about these links yeah um so the link between fundamentalist religion and conspiracy theories is you know the venn diagram is a circle um the 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 link is like fundamental and i saw it growing up but i didn't recognize it um because everything's just so normalized when you're a child in these in these situations so like i mean like the whole rapture stuff is essentially just a conspiracy theory um all of those ideas my parents were obsessed with they hated obama they were they believed he was a secret muslim um conspiracy theory um they and as I got older, I started, I could see that like, oh, that's a weird belief. Like that's not true, but I didn't connect it to the the Christianity stuff. I just thought that it was because they were like old people or like, maybe they just know something that I don't know. Cause I was completely politically ignorant or it's just, it's not a big deal. They just believe some kooky things. Hmm. And so like um, when Obama became the president, um, the, our gun arsenal got a lot bigger um i knew i knew one family who had a legitimate underground bunker um and my my parents were convinced that like obama was going to do some sort of like communist takeover of the united states um they have five acres and at one point i was in like i want to say high school or undergrad i was probably an undergrad and mm -hmm. i went home and i was looking for powdered sugar and my mom has this great walk-in pantry, beautiful pantry. And uh, I walk in there and I'm looking for powdered sugar. And there's a five-gallon bucket in the closet, in the pantry. And it's corn seeds. And we're not farmers. And so I feel like the average person would find a five-gallon bucket of corn and ask why. <laughs> but I was immediately upset because I knew why without even having to ask. And so I shouted out to my mom who was in the other room. And I was like, ma... Are these apocalypse seeds? And her response what? was her response was literally just, so what if they are? Um what's they, apocalypse they, seeds? Apo <laughs> what's apocalypse? <laughs> <laughs> I love that you uh, don't know. Honestly, um, I don't know. No. <laughs> well, they have five acres. They were waiting for Obama to like take over the country as like some sort of like satanic Muslim uh like demigod, right. and they okay. were gonna have to farm their land. 
right. because okay. because society was going to collapse. And so they were going to have to farm their land. So she had apocalypse <laughs> seeds. They had an apocalypse, you know, gun <laughs> arsenal, um, like that level, like doomsday prep mm. stuff. And I was like, this mm. is ridiculous. Um, you know, and so like that kind of stuff, I, I identified as not good, but I didn't, mm. I didn't, I didn't think it was important. And then, um, and then just like one other example, because it, like, it's just so upsetting. Um, I, after I graduated, um, undergrad, I, I'm a civilian contractor with the Navy in the Naval Nuclear Propulsion Training Program. And, uh, so I work with the Navy and when I graduated from this training program that I now work in, my parents came to visit for the graduation ceremony. And it was the same weekend that Trump was taking over the white house from Obama. And, um, at my apartment, my the stairs going up to my apartment, I shared a landing with one other apartment. And the other apartment was uh, a naval officer. So it was a guy who was in the same training program as me. And he's uh, tw- like 22 years old, 22, 23 years old, obviously not an important person. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my parents corner him in the stairwell because they, they're old people. They love to talk to strangers. And I'm just like, whatever, they're your problem for like the next five minutes. And uh, but out of nowhere, and this was kind of like the craziest thing I'd heard from my family up until this point. Um, I, she'd never said anything like this before, but just like out of nowhere, she goes, oh, I have a question for you. I saw this thing on YouTube. Is it true that when Obama declares himself to be like the Muslim king of the United States and refuses to relinquish power to Trump, when, not if, um, is it true that the seat of power for the true United States shifts to like the chief nuclear admiral of the Navy. And that's the guy who gets to decide when we nuke the white house. And I'm, (laughs) my mouth is literally open, was not expecting this. He wasn't expecting this. Nobody was expecting this. And I'm thinking I'm going to lose my security clearance. Like I'm like, I'm about to be reported to somebody. And, and, and this poor, this poor child was so nice and he he had a thick Texas accent and he was just like, yeah. well, ma'am, I don't <laughs> rightly know. And I was just like, why, why would you think that this 22 year old, uh, like <laughs> trainee He's would know what uh, just everything about it was so wrong. <laughs> and, um, and I, I ushered the, I like scooted them into my apartment and I was just like, what are you doing? That was insane. <laughs> and, um, both of my parents just turn on me and they're like, uh, you don't tell us what we can and cannot talk to people about. Like, that's disrespectful. We're your parents. You just don't know what's going on. And I was like, you need to get off YouTube. Um, yes. you know, so <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, and that's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I heard you tell that story, um, on another podcast and I thought, um, I said to you, please tell us that story because it is hilarious. Um, and it it is so, I suppose, yeah, it's the the confidence. This is the thing that I think I find really interesting about some of these uh, conspiracy commentators, I suppose. It's the confidence with which they make these proclamations. You know, I mean, I'm not as confident about most things in life, but they seem to be really confident about knowing exactly what's going on. Uh, absolutely fascinating. It's exhausting. <laughs> uh, well, and, and it's it's because they live in a you know in a world that they've made up for themselves, and so of course they're confident in it because you know they have the absolute truth, and they're mm. just used to being a hundred percent right about everything. Um, but yeah, so like I grew up 
that kind of stuff happened. And I was like, my parents are losing it. Like, but I, again, didn't realize that it was anything to do with my faith. And I, Mm. I was very much still indoctrinated at this point. Mm. Um, and then 2020 happened and, um, basically, you know, shit hit the fan and Mm. I, it it did for everyone. Um, 100%. But when the pandemic happened, um, it, it was July of 2020 and that's heartily into the first like big spike for us, for the pandemic. We did not have vaccines and I was an essential worker. So I was still going into work every day. My husband got to work from home for a long time. Um, we weren't married at, at the time yet, but, um, and my best friend, my absolute best friend, um, we'll call her Kathy. She had been planning to stay with us for like just a night or two on her way to visit family and had been planning for this since like before the pandemic. And then the pandemic happened and I told her, I was like, if you need a free place to stay, like you can still stay with us, but please understand that I'm still exposed. Like it's potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, normally when people come to visit, we do the whole touristy thing. We do the restaurants, we do the sightseeing when you come, like, we're not going to be able to do that ob- sure. for obvious yeah. reasons. And mm-hmm. she was like, yeah, whatever. And she came to stay and um, she got out of her car. The first thing she said to me was like, Oh, Hey, like, do I need a face mask? And I was like, yeah, obviously. And she was like, oh, haha, this is the first time I've ever worn a face mask. And it was in July. And I was, it was just like very confusing. And then she was like, oh, we don't wear face masks in Florida. And I, I, again, I was just like, who is we? Like, what are you talking about? And at the time, and it's difficult to talk about this now because we have, now it's just so obvious. Hindsight's twenty twenty, But in the moment, did not know what QAnon was, did not know that there was going to be a huge anti-mask movement, anti-vax movement, um, knew nothing. All right. So it was just weird comments. And I, I just like brush it aside. We move on. She spends the rest of the weekend making fun of us for taking COVID seriously. Um, yeah. And it was just very strange. When she was teaching English in Taiwan through that cult IBLP program, she had met one of her other really, like really good friends um, who I had met once. And she was a girl from California who had, had been raised more deeply involved in IBLP. And um, this friend was posting a bunch of stuff on social media on like Instagram stories saying how like face masks were uh, child abuse, face masks are slavery. Um, this These are end times. Jesus is coming back any second now. There's going to be a communist wave that overtakes the United States. She's talking about like fleeing the country to like live in the Amazonian forest, like mm-hmm. just n- insane. I'm um, talking like stuff about like 5G radiation and like mm-hmm. patriots and s- stuff about like pedophilia and like it it was just like where is this coming from and Mm. i was talking to kathy about it and i was just like yo your friends lost her mind like she is off the deep end what is going on and kathy was just like not bothered and she was just like oh i don't know um you don't believe in any conspiracy theories and i was just like what does that mean like like Mm. i don't believe Mm. in any conspiracy theories so again just like a really weird conversation we move on. And then the next day she sends me a voice message that literally ruined my life. Like this is the exact moment that like changed the trajectory of things for me um, Mm. was this voice message. And she was like, Hey, because we had been talking about conspiracy theories yesterday, I thought that you might think that this is interesting. And she said, my best friend from this church that she went to in our hometown, and it's a small town. And I know multiple people who go to this church 
she's like my best friend who from this church in our hometown told me that when the vaccines become available, they're going to be full of secret metal and the metal in your blood is going to interact with 5G radiation in order to either control your mind and make you vote Democrat or kill you. She's not sure which one. And at first I was like, oh, that's so funny. Like your friend found this weird thing on the internet, right? Like that's hilarious. And she was like, no, 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 no. Like this girl believes this, like this, she believes this. And I lost my mind. And I was just like, if (laughs) you need to reconsider all of your life choices for tolerating the existence of this person, let alone being friends with them. And if anybody that you know, other than me says the word radiation to you, I have a degree in nuclear engineering, uh, you need to slap them and walk away. And I called her friend a smooth brain and Kathy was just like, I think that's a bit harsh. And I was like, you don't get to tell me the 5G radiation is going to control my mind and expect me not to react with violence. Like, this is ridiculous. Um, And, and, you know, and to date, uh, up to that point, Mm. this was the most insane thing I had ever heard. I was like, this Mm. is insane. Um, Since then, I've heard worse. But but at this point, I was like, something is wrong. Mm. Kathy is my age. Um, she is a young person. She is not a boomer. She's not my parents. Um, it's weird that she's falling for this stuff. And I'm now concerned. And her friend from California was falling for this stuff. She's also our age. Um, and then as I'm paying attention, I I'm seeing everyone, every single person in my hometown start sharing this stuff. I'm getting messages from like my friend's moms, uh, talking about George Soros and Bill Gates running a secret cabal of Satanists and, uh, being like videos of preachers at pulpits teaching this stuff to people. Um, My mom starts sending me things from Simone Gold, who is the woman who started America Frontline Doctors Association. I don't know if you're familiar. They're the people... That's the name, I don't know. They're the people who popularized the hydroxychloroquine conspiracy theory. Right, Um, And then were conveniently selling hydroxychloroquine. So, Mm. um, which which was a treatment that, like, was proven not to be effective for COVID. Um, And Mm -hmm. so my parents started stockpiling hydroxychloroquine instead of like getting the vaccine, Um, thought that vitamin D was going to like completely cure them of COVID. Um, And my, you know, my, my dad has one lung and he is a cancer survivor and he's over 65 years old. And so I was very concerned Mm -hmm. and, you know, I went to my brother and I was like, I need like I need your help like we got to talk to our parents and like make them take the pandemic seriously and he was just like we should just let the week die um is what he told me. Oh. Yeah. Um which is just absolutely evil and uh he said that the CDC was lying about the death numbers and that it was all like made up. Um and uh you know and and, and so at the same time that all of this is happening a week after after Kathy had visited, my husband proposed. And so we're now planning our wedding while all this crazy stuff is unfolding. And um, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I figure out what QAnon is. And so I do a deep dive into QAnon. I figure out what that is. And um, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, 
and I'm sure everybody knows at this point, but it's it's a conspiracy theory that like somebody with a Q level security clearance was leaking information like directly from the Trump administration to people that there was a satanic cabal of elites, billionaire elites who were pulling the strings of global governments and economies to drive the world toward an era of like one world order. And they're also running like massive rings of like child sex trafficking uh, for like satanic ritualistic blood sacrifice purposes. And like some versions of the conspiracy theory, they're like breeding children in tunnels under every major city. So now you've got like mole children. Um, and uh, it, it's insane. And I, but this is where, this is where all of that Bill Gates and George Soros and mm-hmm. pedophilia and 5G radiation, all those things that didn't make any sense and didn't fit together that like the California friend was sharing and like all this stuff. Now it makes sense. I was like, oh, it's QAnon. Um, mm. And I went to everybody in, in my in my life, in my family, my bridesmaids from my hometown, my immediate family, my parents. And I was like, hey, I don't know why the white evangelicals are the ones who are overwhelmingly falling for these conspiracy theories. And it was white evangelicals. Like statistically, it was like a mm. large portion. Um, but you're going to start to see it because our whole hometown is nothing but white evangelicals. And I mm. want to pre-warn you on it. And Kathy just like, would not engage, would not have a conversation. She was like, I can't believe you don't believe in child sex trafficking. And that's literally, it was a text, it was a text message exchange. I was like, you can literally just reread what I wrote. I said, Hillary Clinton is not eating babies. (laughs) That's not the same thing as saying that child sex trafficking does not exist. That's a very real issue. Um, Just, just maddening. And then, Mm. um, one of my bridesmaids was thought that Wayfair was shipping children, which was a huge conspiracy theory in 2020. Um, and I was like, I was like, no, that's a conspiracy theory. And she did kind of what, listen to Wayfair. me. Is this the the shopping um, the yeah? Have you not heard store? about that? Yeah, Wayfair. I I've heard of Wayfair because we we bought a lamp from them, which wasn't very good. Um, but I had no <laughs> idea they're in the child trafficking no, game. As oh my well. god! So this was actually so this is actually a big deal because. Um, if you study kind of like the history of QAnon, it started on 4chan in October of 2017. Um, so pretty early into the first like Trump administration. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was started on 4chan, very quickly moved to 8chan. And these are like some very sketchy weirdo websites that literally nobody goes to except for like Mm -hmm. super nerds. Um, and I'm an engineer, so I knew about them (laughs) because I'm surrounded by super nerds, but, um, What happened in the summer of 2020, which is exactly when QAnon hit me, it was three things. One, early was QAnon, or sorry, um, COVID. It was the COVID pandemic massively like soft pilled a bunch of people into being like, what's really happening? Like maybe mm-hmm. this was man made, like all kinds of stuff like that. So like it just opened people up to kind of like conspiratorial uh, conversation and alternative uh, information sources. And then in the summer of 2020, and this is the I feel like this is the thing that like most people don't focus on enough. Um, well, I'll skip over it to like in the fall of 2020, you had voter fraud. You know, the Trump won the election, like that kind of stuff um but what happened in the middle in the summer of 2020 was this hashtag save the children movement um which some people call like pastel QAnon, and it it really started a lot with that wayfair shipping conspiracy there was a conspiracy theory that wayfair was shipping children in cabinets as a part of like child sex trafficking and like you could find a cabinet on wayfair for like fifteen thousand dollars and it would be named the like the amanda cabinet and like the conspiracy theory is that you were 
ordering a child named Amanda oh. in a cabinet. Um, and it was complete lunacy. This is not mm. true. This has not happened. It's no. it's ridiculous. And it, but it got they, so They can't popular. even make a lamp properly. <laughs> it was, it was so popular wow. um, that like the, I forget the exact name, like the United States trafficking hotline had to put out a statement saying, please stop spreading this Wayfair conspiracy theory. We are right. being inundated with hundreds of calls and we can't help people who actually need help because we are mm. being flooded with misinformation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then on the back of this, because that was so popular, a bunch of QAnon influencers purposefully stole the hashtag Save the Children. And Save the Children is a legitimate organization yeah. um, that does a lot of really good work. I think it's been around mm. since like the 1920s or something. Mm. Um, they stole that organization's hashtag, started um, making a bunch of QAnon information info posts um, mm. with like false statistics on child sex trafficking and like QAnon conspiracy theory stuff um, and f and putting it on Instagram and Facebook. So you moved from 4chan and 8chan and these like sketchy weirdo nerd websites mm. onto like mainstream platforms. And it was the same summer that Black Lives Matter was kind of taking over in the United States because we were building up to the election. And you had a bunch of Christian and Mormon mommy bloggers who wanted to be moral crusaders, but were not going to jump on the BLM bandwagon mm. because they're racist. And so what's what's more important than racism? Child sex trafficking. And so mm. it was this very convenient, like one up, like moral crusader situation, mm. massively mainstreamed the QAnon narrative in a soft pilled format. So they're not talking about adrenochrome or mole children, um, you know, or or Jewish space lasers. They're talking about, um, oh, well, we, we're just worried about child sex trafficking. We're just worried mm. about, you know, a, a, a satan like an elite, you know. Um, yeah. And but the danger of that is that, again, organizations like Kids Safe and Save the Children and other like legitimate law enforcement and charity organizations were flooded overwhelmingly with false mm. claims and like accusations. And it actively impaired their ability to actually do their job. And so all of these, you know, Christian Mormon mommy bloggers who were just like, we're just raising awareness, we're raising awareness we're distracting awareness from what actually needed to be focused on. And it, it, it like makes my blood absolutely boil. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's, it's it, that's interesting. It reminds me quite a lot of the, uh, the satanic panic, um, which yeah. um, sort of happened oh, many years ago now, but um, it's the same sort of thing, you know, I mean, um, I guess it's like, well, why would you not be, why would you not care about this, this really important, you know, what, why do you not care about um, abuse of children? Um, and obviously, of course you care about any hint of that happening, but it's the, um, it's then the commitment that you're expected to make to the next level of what they think is actually going on. Um, yeah, it's very, um, that's very interesting. Okay. Um, again, the, the Christian, the fundamentalist Christian mentality seems to leave people open, particularly um, susceptible to this way of thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and our, we've talked about this on our podcast before. Personally, I'd, I'd like to get your your insight on this, but personally, I think it's because actually, you know, if you think about Satan, the devil invisible creature ruling the world by influencing um the authorities and false religion and so on 
this is like the original conspiracy theory, isn't it? So you're primed for it, really. Yeah, um, 100%. And so, uh, yes, basically what happened for me was that like after all of this drama and after our wedding, I had one moment of like a physical snap, like immediately after our wedding, I just like pushed mm. through, pushed through it. Like, don't burn down every bridge. Like um, you must not understand what's going on. You must, you must be wrong. It can't possibly be this bad. And so like, you know, I, I kicked Kathy out of the wedding. I was like, don't show up. I burnt that bridge, but I was like the rest right. of the bridges, like let's not burn them down. And then yeah. immediately I was like, Oh no, it is that bad. It mm. is, this is actually happening. And it is because they are white Christian nationalists. It is because they are evangelicals. It is because of the faith that I have and that I was raised in that they are believing these things. And I had a physical snap. And like, right. that was kind of like my deconstruction moment. That's very interesting. And I needed to know why. And, you know, for it was for me, it was partially kind of like, a, I need to know why, because like, these are still my family. These are still my best friends. Like, I still care mm -hmm. about them. Like, I need to understand why. And like, it also ended up kind of just, being understanding myself because I was a part of this. I believed all of this. And so um, basically what I didn't know where to start and I didn't know what was happening to me. I didn't have the language of deconstruction or ex-evangelical or any of that. And I didn't know that there were other people like me and I didn't know mm -hmm. that there were books or anything. And um, I ended up finding a couple just like humor comedy like tiktok pages of like april a joy or lacy bean who were kind of making fun of the evangelical nonsense and i was like oh my god i have never seen something like this before so social media was such a lifeline during this and podcasts like this one so like thank you mm -hmm. so much um and once i had a little bit of the language i was able to find the resources and i read a crap ton of books, just like as many books as I could get my hands on, because um, I I needed to understand like the history of the church, the hist like going back to like uh, Billy Graham and Jerry Falwell in the 1950s, 1960s, the the uh, how the evangelical movement morphed into the political sphere, the 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 creation of the religious mm -hmm. right, and there's a whole history to that. Um, I needed to understand like the theology and like if my evangelical faith was wrong and flawed and like the rapture isn't happening and like all this stuff, like what is the Bible? What is, you know, our LGBTQ people abominations? The answer is no. Um, like, you know, I, I needed to, I needed to figure all of that out. And what I found ultimately, and why did they believe the conspiracy theories? And ultimately what I found that was the most useful for me to understand it was when I found books on like cult psychology so like Dr. Robert J. Lipton, uh, Dr. Yanya Lalich and Margaret Singer and Stephen Hassan and like these uh, psychologists and psychiatrists and they had written a bunch of books and I like read a bunch of those. And <clears throat> a lot of people don't like to use the word cult um, fairly because mm. it's been so, so socially stigmatized yeah. and it's just tossed around like pejorative, like anything you don't like is a cult and yeah, like that's, absolutely. that's nonsense. Um, but you know, when you think of like Jonestown, drinking the Kool-Aid and Heaven's Gate and like honest to goodness, destructive cults, um, the definition that like some of these experts use is a charismatic leader, a transcendent belief system, a system of control and a system of influence. And when you look at white Christian nationalism, it does not fit that 
definition. It's not a traditional destructive cult. Did you know it's estimated that there are over 3 million podcasts currently out there? So trying to get noticed and grow listeners is really hard. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not tell a friend about it? We can be found on all the podcast apps. So please tell them to search for Cult Hackers. In fact, why not pause the show right here and do it now? You can find the pod link on our show notes. So you can just copy and paste it into a message or share it using your app. I think you're right about the, the term cult. It's it's a complex one. Um, so do you where do you stand then in terms of your... Um, evangelicalism do you do you call it a cult or cultic or or, i i think it's cult-ish i think that's very fair um but i don't i don't call it a cult um what some of like what the term that robert j lifton had dr robert j lifton was um totalistic ideologies and Mm. he was um in his book thought reform and the psychology of totalism he was studying prisoners of war who were being released from like communist when when the communist china took over um and you know there was a lot of violence um and they had these thought reform prisons and they also had like thought reform schools and um eventually when some he was studying uh case studies of like people who were being released from these uh brainwashing camps essentially and he developed his like eight methods uh of thought reform and he was describing communist china and you know something on that scale also would would not necessarily be called a destructive cult you know it's just it's something else he called it a totalistic ideology and what traditional destructive cults do is they they have a totalistic ideology but they center the veneration around their charismatic leader so you can have a totalistic ideology but that is not necessarily a cult and white evangelical nationalism is a totalistic ideology it's an absolute worldview and Mm. the world the word worldview for me is like such a linchpin because i grew up hearing that word i my private christian school um advertises on their website to this day that they will um instill a biblical worldview in your Mm. children they're literally advertising that they will indoctrinate your children into a totalistic ideology for you because you don't have the time or resources to homeschool, which is the proper way to do it. And um, there's a quote from Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle, who's the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, that um, was just like huge for me, where he said that once you have eliminated all of the impossible options, whatever is left, no matter no matter how improbable, must be the truth. And when you have a totalistic ideology or an absolute worldview, um, it produces what Robert J. Lipton called personal closure or what Dr. Yanya Lalich called bounded choice, where you have removed part of reality as impossible. Um, and then whatever you're left with, no matter how improbable must be the truth, those are your bounded choices. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, why did Trump lose the 2020 election? Um, the fact that the majority of Americans don't want to live in a homophobic, misogynistic theocracy is not a bounded choice. Um, so it must be voter fraud. Or, you know, when you look at like Trump trying to pull out of NATO agreements or these international treaties and things um, from the absolute worldview of like white Christian nationalists, uh, it must be a sign of the end times. And so conspiracy theories become completely inseparable from totalistic ideologies um, because they're just a way of explaining events and phenomenon through the totalistic perspective yeah. of of these belief systems. And so um, it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. then that uh, in America, 
where white Christian nationalism is so prevalent, like on a scale that I don't think anybody realizes um, that it would essentially just be in the water that like these conspiracy theories and this like, you know, these like alternative information media things um it it's inescapable and mm-hmm. like some of the statistics on that some books that recently came out um andrew whitehead and i want to say samuel l perry uh wrote taking america back for god and then like samuel l perry and uh philip gorski wrote the flag and the cross and they're sociologists and so they did polls and looked at the demographic statistics of white christian nationalism in the united states and they found that like a full third of Americans on some level adhere to white Christian nationalism. Other polls have found that a full six zero sixty percent of Americans believe that America was originally founded on uh, Judeo-Christian principles, which is like a, a founding premise of white Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. And 45, 45% of all Americans believe that this country should still be founded on judeo-christian principles you know uh screw the separation of church and state i guess mm. and yeah it's it's really interesting because um obviously we um uh, i'm from the uk and uh, we you know don't get me wrong we have our own problem with um uh, nationalism and racism and uh, fundamentalist religions and conspiracy theories but there does seem to be a mix in in the states that is particularly makes it particularly susceptible i think the other thing that you have in the states is a a deep suspicion of the state um and that also feeds into a lot of these conspiracy theories doesn't it mm-hmm. you know i don't trust i don't trust the government um in in somewhere like, like the uk we're, we're all always very skeptical but you know it's not the same level of um sheer hatred for the government and and for the you know because we aren't individual state but yeah i mean the united states is very much it was based upon this separation of church and state unlike the uk which has a has a church of england you know it's um it's very it's very strange yeah um i mean the other thing too is as you said earlier the satanic panic in the 1980s Mm. um it's just so baked into our history that we have we hop from moral panic to moral panic and and i find it actually absolutely fascinating that book by robert j lipton where he's talking about um the the totalistic ideology of like communist china and like how Mm -hmm. they brainwash people i think that um something that's almost been a little bit lost to time for americans is that um you know we had the red scare in the 1950s the Mm -hmm. mccarthy era Mm -hmm. And, um, and we're still living with that today, you know, like Mm. my family was obsessed with like communism and stuff growing up. And if you send Mm. your kid to public school, they're going to turn your kid into like godless communists, like that kind of thing. And I think we got it wrong because we saw these American Western war heroes, you know, priests and preachers and doctors and, uh, veterans who had been in these thought reform prisons being released after like three years or so. And they, they come out of them, um, talking about, uh, how much they hate the Imperial West and how great communist China is. And, you know, I feel like we've kind of lost those individual stories. Like, you know, I didn't grow up hearing about those, but they were Mm -hmm. in the news back in like the forties and fifties when the, when the original red scare was happening. And I think that Americans looked at that and they were like, wow, that's really scary. Um, how could they turn these red-blooded Americans into communist sympathizers? And so 
they looked ironically at this totalistic ideology uh, of you know communist of the communist Chinese movement there, and they turned it around and instead of being afraid of thought reform, they were afraid of communism. And so they they focused on the wrong thing. And in response to one totalistic ideology, they just made their own. You know, the Red Scare, the moral panic, like drove us into like this like very anti-communist, like white Christian nationalist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so we hopped from the Red Scare moral panic to the um you know, the sixties had like the free love, like mm-hmm. we're, you know, family values, moral panic. And then you have the eighties with the satanic panic. And then today we have QAnon, which is essentially nothing but like a big, satan- a, a big moral panic. Um, and tied to that, we have what I kind of think is like the heart of the white Christian nationalist totalistic ideology, um, this family values, um, moral panic, uh, which is where you get this like violent anti-LGBTQ rhetoric, Mm. um, you know, this very misogynistic, like white Christian patriarchy, um, women belong in the home kind of thing. And Mm. like the reason for all of life's ills and America's problems, it's not like, you know, racial injustice or uh, economic problems or corruption. It's because like, we just don't have strong enough families and Mm. we need to internalize all of those problems. And if you're nicer to your neighbor and if you pray more, then like we'll fix the country. not, you know, we need to address like uh, police brutality or uh, the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and 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 the other thing that um, you said something that reminded me about this earlier, and you had talked about this on a previous episode that I thought was really fascinating. Um, white Christian nationalism doesn't explain everything. Not everyone who falls for QAnon is a white Christian mm-hmm. nationalist. I'm talking about my family and my experience sure. and a large chunk of the people who believe this stuff is because of white Christian nationalism. But you also mm-hmm. always have those people on the fringe who have been like Bigfoot hunters and like 9-11 truthers mm-hmm. from the beginning, that kind of stuff. They're always going to be fringe though. Um, and, but, you know, part of the other thing that has like driven so many people into all of this is um, I have a book that I actually have not read yet. It's called Truth Decay. And it talks about how Every time there's a major um, advance in information technology, there's a spike in conspiracy theory rhetoric. Mm. Um, mm. So when we invented news radio, when you invented news television, um, mm. there was a spike. And um, I have another book called American Conspiracy Theories written by two political science professors who um, try to address like what makes people believe in conspiracy theories historically in the United States, like when have we had like the most conspiracy theories? It was written before the Trump administration. So I don't think that it, <laughs> like, uh, it has, it has some issues, but um, they said that like one of the key things um, that overwhelmingly affects like macro scale conspiracy belief is the information, like the media environment. Um, and so now, you know, we had radio, we had television, we have social media. And Mm -hmm. that like information technology is just so much exponentially uh, different than anything that we've ever possibly had before. Um, And you have these algorithms driving people into these conspiracy theories and Mm -hmm. things that when you talk about traditional destructive cults, um, a lot of the experts will talk about how people don't go out of their way to join cults. They are tricked. They are recruited. And a key element of, um, you know, like cults and cult recruitment is that it is deceptive. And so when you join, you either don't know what you're joining or you only see like level one and two and you don't see like what's going to be required of you in, in like the more yeah. inner circles. 
And they use thought reform, uh, like Robert J. Lifton's Eight Characteristics of Thought Reform, to get you to adopt their totalistic ideology. Um, And those eight characteristics are like loading the language. So like speaking in like um, slang. Um, the the Scientologists are like the worst for this. They have like mm-hmm. literal dictionaries uh, of all their different words. Um, and so like learning that language is almost kind of like a puzzle and like the human mind loves puzzles and things. So like you just try to conform. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I used to, me and Kathy used to make fun of all the people that we went to church with for speaking Christianese. And now I see that as just loading the language and yeah. um, mystic manipulation. And uh, there's eight characteristics. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But they use all of these unethical manipulative tactics to get you to adopt a totalistic ideology deceptively and join this like t- this like group the algorithms are now doing that that's right automatically with like calculated precision to send people into these like outrage spirals and like go down the rabbit hole and stuff. Yep. So you don't have to have like, you know, a, a Mooney talking you into this on the side of the street. You are just getting this you're you're essentially kind of almost like cyber thought reform um that is feeding into everybody's like pre-existing biases yeah yeah and like driving them on their own yeah i think that's um yeah obviously we we did talk about that on a previous episode and um yeah it, it occurred to me that um well first of all i thought you know it's only a matter of time before you have a um essentially an ai as a cult leader um because they're they're the AI, what it will do is it's not not doing this thoughtfully in terms of thinking, right, I've got a goal that I want to, to trick people. It's just following an algorithm that um, delivers the outcome that it's been, been um, designed to, to deliver, like getting more people to view a, a YouTube channel. It's as simple as that, but it's it's managed to learn how to do that in the most effective way. And part of that is to change the individuals who are actually watching these videos, which I thought is very, um, yeah, that's that's quite a, a dangerous, or very dangerous thing. Um, so yeah, in a way, we don't need um, an AI cult leader. We've we've actually already got it happening now through through those algorithms. So yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, there's a, um, a a word occurred to me as you were talking about worldview. Um, I wanted to just come back to that a, a second because you might be interested in it. Uh, you seem like somebody that's really interested in words. Um, there's a in the literature. There's a German word that is used uh, quite a bit in cultic literature called Weltanschauung that I I like to throw in because it's such a brilliant word. It like trips off the tongue, Weltanschauung. And I mean, suppose literally it does mean worldview, but it's got this this sense of it's the lens through which you see everything and, and it colors everything. And that is exactly what happens. Um, so as a Jehovah's Witness, you know, you, you see an earthquake, you hear an earthquake or you you see a war and straight away you're reminded of the scripture of Matthew or Luke that talks about earthquakes in one or wars in one place after another and pestilence and earthquakes and so on and so on. And, and so you you see everything through that lens. And so that's the same for the conspiracy theorist, you know, you're asked to, to wear a mask, but I have never understood why people saw just wearing a bit of cloth around your mouth as some sort of dark conspiracy but again if you're looking at everything through this very particular lens your Weltanschauung is that this is all part of this bigger picture and it's all connected then of course that's how you can do it that's why you see it as dangerous 
Yeah, I um I love that. Uh I'm going to I'm going to butcher it. I'll be talking about this in like weeks. I'll be like Felton blah. <laughs> um but, but I I genuinely believe that we don't have the language to describe what is going on fully. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I talk about like totalistic ideologies and thought reform and like these things. Mm-hmm. Um you know, other people might say like cults or like um you know, high control religion or like, you know, whatever. But like we, one, I think psychology is a fairly new science. Absolutely. And applying it to these like group, Mm. group psychology, like we don't, we don't have it. We don't have the language. We, and, and like not enough people are studying this and, and it needs to be studied because essentially what is happening um, and where this white Christian national, what this white Christian nationalism more than you know i keep using jonestown as an example more than mm. jonestown white christian nationalism you know there there are parallels but like it, that's not like a great like comparison more than like destructive cults it is most similar and most paralleled to like historical fascist totalitarianism um Mm. and if you look at like fascist italy fascist germany obviously you and like the the communist chinese that was not fascism that was communism but it was totalitarianism and so if if you are looking at these like large scale societal like thought reform programs um that is what we're looking at in the united Mm. states right now and Mm. um you know so i've read a bunch of books on you know, totalitarianism and fascism and populism and all of that as well. And um, Dr. And so for us in America, it's fascism. Um, And Dr. Robert, maybe Paxton, um, he was a professor at Columbia uh, of history. He specialized in Vichy, France, uh, French fascism. And he wrote a book called The Anatomy of Fascism. And in that book, it's been a while since I read it, but uh, he basically, he's not talking about the U.S., He's he he's just talking about fascism. He wrote this before the Trump administration. Mm. Um, he is just saying like, what is fascism? Because it's very difficult to define. And he said like, mm. okay, by my you know definition, there's like five stages of fascism, and like the fifth stage is it's like it's collapse. So like one through four is like it's build up, and like we're mm. solidly in like phase maybe three, maybe four. Like we're like mm. really deep into it. And he literally says in that book, and like it it absolutely blows my mind um, because I found multiple people who wrote stuff back in like this, like uh, Richard Hofstadter is a historian. He wrote books back in the sixties um, talking about the paranoid style and like the Goldwater uh, election administration mm-hmm. um, where he literally identifies like white Christian nationalism. He just uses different words for it. And he talks about the connection to conspiracy theories. Like he nailed it. But in, uh, in Robert Paxton's book, he says, if fascism came to, all of these different countries, this is what I think it might look like. And he says that mm-hmm. if fascism comes to the United States, it will be dressed up in uh, Christian crosses and American flags. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like literally just nail on the absolute head. Like if you, you know, the people mm-hmm. who stormed January 6th, it was like a mix of people in like tactical gear and like prayer circles, you know, yeah. like it was, yeah. a com- it was completely that. Um, but the other thing that, you said something earlier that kind of like reminded me of this, but the there's some quotes somewhere about how like information and education um, really, that is what helps with like empathy. Like mm-hmm. the more, you know, like the more empathetic you can be. And I, for me, like 
that has been a huge thing and me researching all of this and like reading about like, you know, white Christian nationalism and the people that I grew up with, just trying to understand them. Um, you know, it's horrific. And I, I wholeheartedly condemn the ideology, but I also know, like I said earlier, that like my parents had good intentions. They're trying to be good people. I was trying to be a good person. And I was just told that that's how you become a good person, um, and how you like please God. But, um, a lot of the people who join these movements, who join like, you know, destructive cults, they do it because the reason why people join or believe conspiracy theories is often the same reason why people join cults. And it is because the cults fill social and mm -hmm. psychological needs. And you talked about that yeah. in a different podcast episode where you're talking about mm -hmm. the ABCs of, um, you know, like, uh, what was it like belonging and, mm -hmm. uh, autonomy competence, and autonomy, yeah. competence. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. you know, social and psychological needs. And um, mm. Dr. Margaret Singer in her book, The uh, Cults in Our Midst, she, instead of cults, she uses the term social and psychological control programs. And I really like that term because it's social and psychological. And, um, you know, so people believe conspiracy theories for the same reasons that they join cults, because it fills social and psychological needs and because they're right. looking for answers. It might be like large scale existential problems, like they're worried about climate change or they're worried about, mm. um, you know, politics, or it could be internal personal problems like they have a an addiction issue or they have like relationship problems. And so they find somebody who is offering a solution and it's an oversimplified, easy solution to a very big, scary thing. And That's so, right. um, you know, they're trying to be good people they're tr they're trying they're joining these groups not because they're evil um and not because they're stupid and not because they are deficient in some way but just because they're human and um the idea of saying that oh these QAnon people or these you know extreme fundamentalists are well they they're just crazy or they're just they're hateful evil people um and a lot of their policies do come across that way but it's a form of victim blaming um to say that's them mm. there's something wrong with them i could never fall for something like that and um and it's a way of making yourself feel better mm. and in doing that we often minimize the effect that these groups might be having um to say oh that's a fringe problem that's not something that i need to worry about when it very much is something that we all need to worry about and um and what all of these like cult experts agree is that everyone every single mm. person is Absolutely. potentially susceptible to mm. these um manipulative like thought reform tactics um yeah. just if they're given at the right time in the right way. So like, yeah. we're not special and these people are not special. They're not like flawed. Yeah. Um, we just, we have to, I, I don't know exactly how to fix anything, but um, you know, moving forward, you know, in the past when we were preparing for the wedding and everything, I tried to like logic people out of things. I tried mm -hmm. to like, you know, tell Kathy Hillary Clinton's not eating babies, you know, like just like have give them information and like logic them out of these belief systems and mm -hmm. stuff. And like, you can't do it because it's not a logical issue. It's like, it's an emotional issue. And, um, you know, for me as a white Christian nationalist, what helped me break out of these beliefs um, one was just the absurdity of Jewish space lasers, but then two, uh, was um, white Christian nationalism is essentially founded on like two base principles for me. And that was biblical inerrancy 
and American exceptionalism. And the American exceptionalism is this belief that America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and that we are blessed by God because of our uh, adherence to Judeo-Christian principles and we have unprecedented uh, prosperity and uh, blessings and that sort of thing. And if you look, and that's a that's a historical issue. And I think that you can very easily break that down just by understanding, like there's quotes from the founding fathers who literally say, we are not founded on Judeo-Christian principles, like flat out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the idea that we have unprecedented prosperity if you study American history without like extreme propaganda, like what I was fed my entire life, you immediately dismantle that because we don't have unprecedented freedom. We had slavery for like X hundreds of years and, you know, we're still dealing with these issues. Um, but the and the biblical inerrancy is much harder to dismantle. And it took me longer to kind of work out of that because I couldn't oh, just like gosh. I couldn't just walk away from it because that's that's yeah. the heart of evangelicalism. That is mm. the core theology is biblical inerrancy. And so I had to find alternatives. And um, some of the books that really, really helped me with that was How the Bible Actually Works by Pete Enns. Um, he's a PhD in theology and Love Wins by Rob Bell. And so people who actually have studied the Bible that is supposed to be an errant who have like PhDs in this sort of thing who speak the original languages. Um, David Bentley Hart is another really, really good one um, that all shall be saved um, who flat out just prove that the Bible is contradictory. And what do you do with it once you know that? And like there, there is still value and potentially like good mm -hmm. things that you can learn mm -hmm. from, from these scriptures, mm -hmm. but it's not what I was taught. And so you know, moving forward with my family, like I'm writing my book, basically just my journey of deconstruction, what I found that broke me out of these beliefs in mm -hmm. hopes that like, you know, my absolutely completely delusional hope is that like somebody can read this and like mm -hmm. break out of some of this stuff. Um, but what's probably more likely to happen is that it's, it, it might be helpful for people who are like me, who have family who are still stuck in these belief systems or who have deconstructed themselves already. And they're just looking for some more answers, or at least, um, you know, I can point them to other books and things that have uh, better, yeah. better answers than I do. So, but yeah, ta well, targeting the know, base you, beliefs. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I think you shouldn't underestimate what, what good can be done by writing a book or by doing a podcast and, talking about it and so on i think that's really really important that we we continue to do that um we we get messages from time to time from people saying that it's they found it really helpful um and yeah everybody has to make their own journey but i think knowing that there's other people that have gone through that same journey ex experienced some of that same stuff it, it can really help and I, I do actually think there is some so when i my leaving story was actually started with my my doubts about the bible so jehovah's witnesses also are are believe in the inerrancy of the of all of the bible it's directly inspired by god um there are no contradictions and so on and so on um but i i started to have doubts based on that because i i started to re realize that some of these stories in the bible you know there were stories and they had some morals uh to them and they they helped they help us with a window into the psyche of the people who existed you know a couple of thousand years ago which is fascinating who doesn't want to know that you know it's really interesting but as a historical document it ain't and you know it's that that started to 
um, hit me. So I, I think that there are there are opportunities for people to read a book like yours and start to notice things. Um, you know, I think I think that that can happen, and it is a very individual thing. So it just depends. So um, we're coming to the end of our of our, of our time together, really. Um, so and um, I just wanted to ask how your kind of your your thoughts of the future. So you're writing your book. You've got that um, that project on the go. You've got a website which I'll put the link um, on our show notes so that people can go to it. It's full of really interesting information, and um, I recommend um, people do that. They can obviously find out about when your book's going to be released. So what what's your hopes for the future? What what are you sort of um, hoping to? Uh, what are you looking to? Yeah. So, um, for me, like I'm still, I'm still working on the book. Like I'm still writing it mm. and I've never done anything like this before. Like I have an engineering degree, like, <laughs> like I'm not a writer. Um, yeah. I'm not like a, a, a journalist or anything. So mm. this is, um, it's a big project for me and it's something that is very different for me and mm. it's something that is very important to me. So I'm, you know, I just hope that I can do it well well enough and um so i mean the the big thing is just i really want to i need to finish it i want to finish it um and carefully um and then you know for me i've had to i've had to go mostly no contact with like my family and Mm. um all of my bridesmaids and like all of my friends growing up and stuff like i've I've essentially had to disconnect from that entire community um and i hear I'm I'm not huge on TikTok. I I made a couple videos just as kind of like a test, and like mm. I got thousands of comments of people sharing similar worse worse stories than mine right. to do mm. with like family believing in QAnon, losing family members to the pandemic mm. because they were anti-vax, and like all of that stuff, and having to go no contact and like that sort of thing. So I know that this is like a huge problem. Mm. Um, you know, so I just I you know personally I hope that like. And I know there's, there's, the problem is that there's no quick and easy answer. There's no like simple solution. Like, and, and in reality, a lot of relationships are going to just be permanently lost or permanently damaged. And that is a um, very sad reality that a lot of people are living with post 2020. Um, And that's, and, you know, for me, I'm just still trying to figure out which relationships can be salvaged, which ones I need to let go and which ones are just going to be different from now on. So personally, that's kind of like what I'm working through. And I think after I finish the book, that will be like a huge step for me. Um, Speaking on, you know, podcasts like this, connecting with people who are doing the work that you're doing and like having these conversations, um, it has been so wonderful. And again, thank you for having me on and for, for everything that you do. Um, you know, and just, you know, hopefully just raising awareness that like to put language to the things that I did not have language for um, mm. to point people towards, you know, maybe some books that can explain things better than I can. Um, and, you know, to call out white Christian nationalism as the problem. Um, and there's a lot of really great organizations who are working on that. Um, Americans United is one of them. Authors like Andrew Seidel are like doing a lot of really good work and like in legal, like in in the, um, you know, like with lawsuits and things. Um, mm. But it's still small. Um, so, you know, just hopefully, you know, being involved, speaking out, um, 
and continuing to just kind of like raise awareness. I don't know what I'm doing. Brilliant. <laughs> well, you, you've got a great voice and um, you're so interesting to talk to. So uh, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. Um, thank you so much for being with us, Sanaim. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>